Welcome to Rewired Inspired. I am your host, Elena Petrescu, former accountant, now hypnotist, and body language business trainer. My purpose is to help you rewire your mind to see infinite possibilities and inspire you to create them in your life and business. I share tips, tools, and strategies that help you suspend disbelief so you can quickly overcome challenges, eliminate doubt, remove self-imposed limitations, and create the life and business of your dreams. I believe that good things happen to those who are inspired. Inspired minds are focused and they take action. Through inspired action, people evolve. They gain confidence, change unwanted behavior and habits, develop self-awareness, and realize their full potential, a life with more money, achievement, and impact. You'll hear from leaders that share their story of transformation and how they transitioned from difficult situations towards genuine empowerment in their life and business. You will learn how you can model their lesson and rewire inspire your mind to quickly reach your full potential, making your life and financial goals a reality. Are you ready to be inspired? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. It's Elena here with another episode of Rewired Inspired. And today I have a very special guest, and his name is Dr. William Horton. Welcome to the show, Dr. Horton. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. So before we start, I really would like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who you are so that they can understand what you do and the fact that I'm fascinated with what you do. So I know that you are considered by many to be the world-leading neurolinguistic programming in an NLP training. You are a licensed psychologist. You are a certified alcohol and drug counselor, a master hypnotist, and you are one of the few non-law enforcement people asked to attend the FBI crisis hostage negotiation course at the FBI Academy. I mean, not to mention that you are a published author, a best-selling author of nine books, Habits of Success, The Alcohol Addiction Solutions, The Quantum Psychology, Advanced Secrets, Mind Control, just to, to name a few. And uh, you are also um, the founder of an NLP course that you currently teach. So I want to say thank you. I know that your passion is NLP and hypnosis and that you have used NLP and hypnosis to overcome an alcoholic addiction. Talk to us about that, Dr. Horton. Well, it's, you know, it's what led me into the passion that I have to do this stuff. I actually got exposed to hypnosis uh, in high school. I read a book. Uh, it was called Hypnosis for Change. It's still in print, by the way. And it has like a relaxation script. And then some, and I hypnotized a couple of people. And it scared me because it worked. It worked quite well. It would, you know, it's, so I thought it was fascinating. I didn't really pursue it. I was kind of an athlete in high school and I drank a lot, even in high school. So, but I did make, I still remember that, I made some self-hypnosis, if you want to call it that, tapes, so you, cassettes. I'm dating myself here, but they were cassettes. And so I listened to those and liked it. I didn't put, it went on the back burner because, you know, playing sports in high school, went in the military, went in the army right after high school, stuff like that. 
it came back into my life after an addiction, the alcohol took away basically two careers. It took away the military career. I joined the army to be a pilot. And between two things happening, Vietnam ended. And at the same time, my drinking escalated. So I ended up getting out. I did a few years in the army, but I it didn't go the way I wanted. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so when I got out, I decided to become an actor, right? I wanted to go to acting school, even though I had no experience in it, didn't do it in high school, none of that. So I ended up getting accepted into an acting school and was doing quite well until again, the alcohol addiction took it away, right? Because I'd miss auditions. I would, you know, I'd get a part and not show up. It didn't end well. So I decided I wanted to quit drinking. And so I ended up going into treatment through the Veterans Administration. Mm -hmm. And it was good. I liked it from day one. I'd never been around therapy, didn't know anything about it, but I liked it, stuff like that. And it was a a very 12-step based recovery where you go to AA meetings. And from day one, I liked AA. And so I did well. I, I quit drinking for a couple of years. And then I had some difficulties, we'll put it that way. And so I was kind of in and out. I'd be sober a little while and drink. So I couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, make a long story short, I stumbled across someone who did some hypnosis and NLP stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it all made sense. Everything just kind of clicked in. And my life changed. I mean, then I then I really understood it, the, the, what the therapy was trying to do, what the 12-step program was doing, and that. So... I started hanging around and like a lot of people that get into recovery back then, this was in the early eighties, there was treatment centers all over the place, especially detox centers. So I started volunteering and taking classes, became an alcohol and drug counselor. And I came across an NLP course that back then it was much easier to find NLP than it was hypnosis, right? This is pre-internet. So I started studying NLP and then I got back into the hypnosis and that's kind of the transition. And then it, and I never could understood why it wasn't used more in things like alcohol and drug treatment, even in therapy. And then I ended up going back to school and getting my doctorate in clinical psychology because I could, and I had some veterans benefits left. So I went back to school and used them, but, uh, but I don't, I mostly still use the NLP and the hypnosis because it works and it's fast. Yes. It doesn't, you know, regurgitate old stuff. And you know, it's, that's kind of my quick story. And it, you know, and I'm very, I'm very 12 step friendly. I understand what it's intended to do. A lot of people misunderstand it. That's a topic we could talk about later. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, that's what I do. And uh, then I've been blessed. I've literally been all over the world teaching NLP and, and doing some other stuff. And uh, so here I am still doing it. Beautiful. Now, Share with us the modalities you use because you combine both hypnosis and NLP to help yourself. Can you share a little bit about that? So that someone who, let's say, is looking at, I want to kick this habit. What would be the first thing you would say to them? Well, first of all, when you look at like hypnosis and NLP, one of the misunderstandings, they don't clash, uh, is people think like they're two separate things. And they're not, they're, they're totally, you know, and I would say NLP, if you really understand NLP, hypnosis fits in it because NLP is a framework that you could do hypnosis. You could do EFT. If you're into tapping, you could do 
cognitive behavioral therapy. That's the therapy I was trained in. You could do everything with an NLP format. Hypnosis is a smaller subset and it's much more specific. But what they both do is bypass the critical factors of the mind and help people make changes underneath. And there's only two ways to make those changes. One is through a lot of effort and work systematically, like what therapy would do that might take weeks, months, or years. Yes. Or even the 12-step program, it's repetition and it's this and it's that. And that will help reprogram the mind. But what the uh, if someone's skilled at NLP, they can help you make those changes quicker. Uh, yes. Because every day people change, right? They quit drinking, yes. they quit smoking, they quit overeating, they quit doing all these things. Yes. They don't necessarily have to go see a hypnotist, a coach, an helper, a, a therapist. They just change. And what they've done is somewhere in their head, they've made that change. And, you know, and what NLP and hypnosis does is help speed up that click on the inside. So you, yes. you see things differently. So they change the perception of it. I think it's, it's they create on the, a different neural pathway. Right. Right? Yes, ma'am. And talk to us a little bit about your training in the FBI, because I know you do body language. Well, and, and that was a fascinating thing because <laughs> I went to the, I got invited because a couple of my students work for the FBI. And they invited me. I, I happened to be in that area. I was teaching in Washington, D.C. And they said, would you like, this was right at 2000. So it's been a, quite a while. But the lady says, hey, would you like, while you're in town, would you like to meet the head of the behavioral science unit at the FBI? Now, if you're really into that, that is like, that's like asking a Muslim, would you like to go to Mecca? Because they've invented all this stuff. The FBI, whether you love them or hate them, they're good at what they do. And so I said, I'd love to meet this guy. So I went in, met him, and it was scary right off the bat. I had nothing to do with police or I did work in jails for, you know, alcohol and drug stuff, but it was like, I had no experience. And I walked in, we sit down and start talking. This guy knew my entire life story without, before I said a word. And then I thought about it and I go, well, he said what, what they call a sack, a special agent in charge of a unit in the FBI. And so, so I'm like, oh, cool. So we're talking and, you know, and he made the offer for me to go to the FBI Academy for the hostage, back then they called it hostage. Now it's called crisis negotiation. And maybe even while I was there, like hanging around the profiler group, I said, I'd love to, to be honest with you, now that I'm removed from by 20 years, I said, honestly, I think it might've been one of those invitations that they never thought I would take. Yes, maybe, because, yeah. yeah, I didn't have to pay for it, but you know, I had to take two and three weeks out of my life, four weeks actually, and go there and hang out. I could stay on the, I stayed in the barracks uh, with all the cops. But I said, sure, give me a date. When is the next class? And it was like June. I said, I'll be there, man. I cleared my schedule. And I, I think they were surprised I showed up. Now, all they ask is, you know, when I was over, give them some feedback on the course. And so anyway, when I was at the course, I was the only guy in the room that was not an officer, a badge. There were a couple other psychologists and a social worker but they were also police officers. They were badged. So I, I always mm-hmm. tell people, I was the only guy in the room that didn't normally carry a gun, mm-hmm. right? So it was kind of fun. But the whole course was on listening because they they started the thing because these are like high-level FBI agents, police officers. A third of the class was from 
overseas because the FBI trains more police overseas than any other organization in the world. So anyway, so it's like really cool. But these are like smart people been in the field. And the guy started the training. I always remember that. He goes, now, who here thinks they're a good listener? And they're all like, everybody's raising their hand, right? So I'm just, I'm in the back watching. I go, I got to figure this out, right? And he goes, well, I can tell you this. If you're here, I guarantee you, you're a horrible listener. Absolutely guarantee you. Because you are a problem solver. You solve problems quickly. It is literally life and death for police officers. And he goes, you know, they, they did a study that the worst listeners the first group is police officers Wow, because they do not have time. If they roll up on a scene, they can't go. So tell tell me about your background. No, it's like, what's the problem? Let's fix it. Let's move on. The second group that's horrible listeners are medical doctors. Wow. Okay. Because again, their training, if you've been around medical training, it's triage. What's the problem? Let's fix it next. Yes. And then in that top, group of people were also psychologists, social workers, teachers, and parents, because those, those, in, those things have a tendency to make you a problem solver. You know, you're a classroom teacher with 30 students. You're just solving problems, right? Yes. Yes. So how do you learn how to listen? How do you learn how to listen, right? And they also said some, so the whole course was teaching you how to actively listen. Uh, in two ways. One is if you see a person, it's a little bit easier, but they were teaching it because in a hostage slash crisis negotiation, you're probably just talking on the telephone. You so are you not sitting face to face. Eye, right? Right. And, and the other thing I learned is how batshit crazy most of these guys really are. And, and how mu- it was fun. It was the funnest training I've ever been through in my life. To tell you the sure. truth, right. And how you learn how false, like what we think they do versus what they do. Like one of the quick things I always tell people, if you're interested is, you know, you're always, there's a couple of movies, you always see it on TV and the negotiator shows up, takes over and tells everybody what to do. No, no. None of that, right? No, it's always, and I understood this in the military. It's always the tactical commander. He tells the negotiator what to do. That's it. Not the other way around. The negotiator says, don't do, no, right? And I went through the training, like I said, had a good time, learned a lot. Active list. They're the guys that came up with active listening. Yes. And and then afterwards, I did get the help with a couple of things, mostly on like teaching other people, because somebody said, oh, you know, if you work there, would I have been a negotiator? Right. Here's, here's a cool question. I said, no, they would never let me negotiate for one reason. You were not. Nego- a- no, one of the even if I became a uh, police officer. Yeah, because one of the things the negotiator may be told to do, like if you were the tech commander, you'd say, well, I want you to get up, to tell the guy to walk to the door and get the pizza. Okay. I say, okay, Joe, Joe, I understand lots going on, but the food's here. Get up, cross to the door and get the pizza. And as he's crossing to the door, he gets shot by a sniper. Oh, okay. Got you. Mm -hmm. And as a psychologist... I'm bound by the same medical rules. First, do no harm. Yes. I would probably get in trouble with the psych board if they found out, yeah, I'm telling Joe, yeah, I'm telling him to do this. And I'm waiting. I could hear the gunshot on the phone. You yes. know, and so they had examples of that. And I'm like, okay, I, I understand this. But I was also ex-military. And I'm like, I could do this. It would, that's what you want me to do. It's like, okay, you know. So it was a, it was a fascinating training. 
from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially it got, and when I practice those skills, it makes me listen more. Yes. And kind of what we're taught now a little bit more psychology teaches it, social work. And if you have to go to a good hypnosis or NLP school, you know, you're, you're listening at three levels. You're listening at what they're saying. You're listening how they say it and what you think the meaning is. Those may be totally different. And so, yeah, it, it was fascinating. So how much of that training have you integrated in your own programs? Because some of it, like I know maybe among that training was communication, which I think is very important because listening is is really paying paying attention to what that person is trying to communicate to you. So it's not just what they're saying, but what the body is telling you as well. Was that part of the the training as well? Oh, yeah. You would get in. Yeah, because they'd also talk about getting in rapport with the people. Right. So you could you feel what they're feeling at some level. So you could tell when things are off. I also that the other thing that it really got me that I was exposed to in psychology and in NLP is to mirror back language. Yeah. But the FBI hammers in, you have to be totally exact. So use their don't exact wanna, words back yes, to them. And people want to paraphrase, especially if they don't like the word angry. You know, Elena, you you seem upset. It, and if you're like, no, I'm angry. Now, if you could think about what these negotiators are doing, you have a gun in your hand. There's people standing around you. Yes. You don't want to escalate the situation. Yes. And just so you have to use their words, even if you're uncomfortable with it. So and, that way they understand that you understand them, right? Yes. Yes. And for a lot of us intellectually, you understand angry, upset, pissed off. They're, they're close. But if you're in a tense situation, you need to mirror back the words that they told you. you I know? understand. Yeah. So let's say, let's let's just do a little play. Okay. <laughs> let's say I'm a person who, let's say, wants to jump off a rail and you're there and you're trying to negotiate and try to make me come down and I'm sitting there almost jumping. What would be the first thing you would say to me? Well, it would generally start with something like, wow. You must be in a hell of a lot of pain to want to end it this way. Gotcha. You know, where what kind of pain are you feeling? You know, and, and to feel this way, I, I, you know, when I felt that way, and we all we've all felt that way. We've all want to take a header off the bridge. Some I think anyway, you know, especially in the last two years with COVID. And, and yes, yes. Wars. <laughs> and you know, and then you could like, but you don't make it about you, you say, so what. You know, what's making you want, what's going on behind the scenes that I think in that situation, they always talk about, because when somebody's contemplating suicide, it's that you think you have no future. Correct. So if I said to you, well, I lost my job, my family don't want to be with me. I'm just making this up, right? Just for the sake of it. And, you know, with everything that's going on, I don't see any resolution and I'm just ready to go. Oh, I can understand that. So you, you, you've lost within a short period of time. You've lost your job, uh, and because of that, your family has kind of kicked you out or kicked you to the curb. And you know, with all this other stuff going on in the world, it makes you look toward the future. Like a question, if you don't mind, is does the future look dark? Yes. When you look at it, yeah, okay. Uh, and what? And I understand that, and this makes sense. But what can we do? to maybe just bring in a little bit of light 
because yeah, situations suck, things change, you know, but I'll bet you, did you have a job when you got the job you just lost? Yes. Okay. So you got another job. So, you know, there may be another job out there. It may not be the job you had, let's be honest, because the other thing the FBI teaches you is don't lie, right? It's like, be honest, it's going to be tough, but there may be other jobs. There may be this, you know, and of course you change, change that. You're, you know, you can begin to look at the family. So the idea is for you to get to get them to conversate with you so that they mm-hmm. can open up, right? So that slowly you will be able to say, okay, but it's not as dark as it seems to be. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. That's good. Um, and use their language. And, and also, too, uh, just be yourself, however you are. You know, yes. uh, yeah, I use a lot of like humor and this and that, but, and just be sincere, you know, and acknowledge whatever they tell you. Yeah. That, you know, that sucks. Yes. Right? You can't really. Yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I find it fascinating. I'm sure. Um, oh yeah. Cause that's the other thing. When you come to the mental health side, people don't want to just you know, in fact, they have to teach a class at a conference on suicide, you know, suicidal ideation. And you got to get comfortable with, you know, it must, it, so you want to kill yourself. Yeah. You know, and if you were on a bridge, then we know what, what's going to, or a, a roof, we know what's going to happen. But if you're like talking to somebody, do you have a plan? How specific is the plan? Yes. Yeah. And then you could tell, then if you're into what we're into with hypnosis and NLP, you might then, you know, after, if they calmed a little bit, you could begin to tell a story that might take them in a different direction. Yes. So that they can actually realize that it's not as bad as it seems to be. Uh, so, Dr. Horton, talk to us about, because you did mention listen a lot, and I know in body language, listening to what the person is saying, but also looking at their body language. How important is that in communications? Because you know, I have some students myself, and I always say to them, listen before you say anything and really pay close attention to what that person is really trying to communicate to you. Because, And then also pay attention to your own body language as well, right? So how important is that in, in communication, in negotiations, in any business activities? Because, you know, I feel that business owners should know what you teach really to exhale and grow. Yeah, well, and the importance of listening first, and this clashes with some of the body language people and putting the body language second to listening, right? Because then you're listening like, is there anything going on that like if a person's standing like this, you know, and if uh, some people go, well, it means you're closed off. Not necessarily, right? Right, it's like I'm cold. (laughs) You know, yes. I, you know, whatever it happens to be. Or I'm comfortable. Yeah. Right now I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's like, so yeah. And so then, and then of course the good thing about body language is if you use our skills and you can, if you're one-on-one with the person or Zoom or any of the online stuff now, you can see their body language and you yes. can mirror match. Like you're nodding. I guess. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And that gets that. And then you can. And that gives you some feedback into what's going on inside. Yes. You know, that's beautiful. I wanted to talk to you about 
if we were to take, for example, a politician or anybody that you would look at what they're saying, what they're doing, would you be able to say to us, okay, when they use their hand this way, it means this, when their eyebrows go up, it means this. Talk to me about that a little bit. Uh, well, <laughs> and that's fascinating because usually if they're a good politician, they're very scripted. Yes. They don't go off script. Yes. Right? And even if they appear to be unscripted, yes. they're probably on a script. And I, that, when I think of that, I think of Donald Trump. Everybody acts like he's said, and I'm like, <laughs> He, he was 16 years on television. You are used to being directed and coached. Yes. Right? So usually when it comes to the higher level politicians, you have to catch them in those moments where the script drops away. Yes. And then you see their true nature. Right? Yes. A friend of mine, uh, going all the way back to Bill Clinton. Right? Yes. He, Bill Clinton was left-handed. And whichever is your dominant hand, usually if you're making a point, you will use your dominant hand. This you know, right-handed, I'd go like this. Yes. But when he was being asked, unexpectedly, I forgot how it came up about his affair. And instead of using his dominant hand, he went with his other hand and went, I did not have sex with that woman. And he broke eye contact, Yeah. Right. which Bill Clinton never did. He was totally trained in this stuff. He was trained, you know, I mean, he was, he, well, first, He's a Rhodes Scholar with an IQ of about 170. So he's brilliant. Yes. And, and you know, but he, they caught him unaware and he broke and he did this, right? The other one that was pretty easy to read was uh, George Bush II. The, because, the son. Yeah, because he just, you know, but he was very scripted. A yes. lot of his good old boy charm, everybody forgets, he was born and raised in Connecticut. He went to Yale. Yes. I mean, it's, it, he didn't grow up in Texas. Right. I would stress that right? that is all like to be, a you know, so it's kind of fun, you know, and the one I really like watching when when and he dropped his guard more than any other person I've seen lately was Barack Obama. He was personable and he would kid around and he had a sense of humor, you know, and I remember he got up on the state podium once before something was starting and somebody's cell phone went off and the ringtone was call me, maybe it was a. <laughs> And he starts singing it. He's got a nice voice. And he starts singing it. And the right wing started ripping him up. Well, huh? but I'm sitting there going, he's got teenage daughters. He's yes. probably heard that song oh, so much. And he was so comfortable at that point. It was right after he won re-election. He didn't have, he was done. You can't fire me. No. Yes. I don't have to run again. Right. So there's that. So you have to catch him in those, those moments that they're unguarded. The one that is kind of hard to read, though, somewhat, is Donald Trump. He's very well um, trained. <laughs> I think there's a lot more going on than that in there, you know. And it's like just, you know. And then, and then I like, or I get upset when people read too much into it, like the current president, right? Biden, whether you like him or not, people give him such a hard time because he fights for his words. But if you, yes. he had a bad stuttering problem, and when you go, if you could go back and hear him speak in the Senate, a lot of times it would come up. Right? So he was a stutterer. Okay. Yes. And so he doesn't want to stutter. So he'll take, and one of the things you would teach someone like that, I, I don't claim to be an expert, but I do know, is to slow down. Yes. Just slow down. It, it, yeah. So you have to look for those unguarded, just like anyone. Yeah, unguarded uh, situations. 
I want to talk about your NLP because I know you do a lot of uh, trainings in NLP. And I mean, I've, I've seen so many beautiful reviews and that you've, you've had over the years with your students and how much you've helped them through your, your own trainings. If someone was to contact you, uh, wanting to train with you, where can they find that information? Uh, my trainings are usually posted, excuse me, at nfnlp.com. Okay. nfnlp.com. That stands for National Federation of Neurolinguistic Programming. It's the second longest running NLP group out there under continuous thing. What I, the way I approach it is, is a little different than some people. I usually teach what, what I like to call street smart NLP. What's the easiest, quickest, fastest way, right? To get to a result. Mm-hmm. And with that, especially when you're learning it, if you're going to use it to help other people or even yourself, you don't need at that level, all this theory. You know, like anybody, I don't know how many times you talk to a young person, they want to take, they tell you they want to study psychology. Why do you want to study psychology? Oh, and they go into this. And you, if you understand, I'm a doctor, I have a doctorate in psychology. I want to tell them, well, you realize that a bachelor's degree in psychology will teach you nothing about how to help people. Yes. You get a little bit of that in your master's degree. You get a lot of it in your doctorate, right? Because they're teaching all this theory, which may, you know, like when I took my psych exam, I had to know all the major theories of psychology, which is nice information. Will I ever use Freudian psychology? No. Will I ever use rational emotive therapy? No. But I had to learn it, right? Right. So sometimes what I found was funny with NLP when I learned it, the courses weren't that long. They were very short. There was no master level NLP. There was no trainer level NLP. You just went and learned NLP, right? Yes. And then you would hang around with the people and, and, and you'd start doing it. And then it became more structured, right? Because then what happens, people that like structure get involved. So they put a structure on it. And so then you have all these, and I teach all the levels. So what I'm speaking now is like on both sides, but they made trainings longer and longer and longer and more complicated. At one point, the average training was 30 days. Uh, yes, in the early 90s. But that's back when companies would give you time off to go take a training. I started doing very short, fast trainings for two reasons. One, almost everybody I trained was either already a hypnotist or an alcohol and drug counselor. So I'm like, I'm not going to teach any basic therapeutic skills. Right? Yes. If you went through that, I can teach this. Right? And I think coming from a military mindset, that fast, intensive, information given to you quickly, you have a tendency to retain more than if it's spread out over all these days and you're constantly repeating, you know, it's like fast, effective, street smart, fun, you know, humor helps you learn. And so, so that's how I teach NLP. And I try to, you know, make it as cost effective as possible, because I also think people need this information. It shouldn't be so expensive that it's, I mean, we're seeing enough of that in the world anyway. Yes. Have, you know, the, the wealthy get this and we get that. And yes. This, this is something we can all use. So that's a little bit. Yeah. So how long, are, how long is your NLP course? 
Uh, usually the basic course is 40 hours. And again, the other reason is a lot of the NLP courses, uh, they teach a subset with it of hypnosis, which I don't understand. It's like, I go take a hypnosis course. I would tell people take a basic NLP course, then go take a then hypnosis go take course. Hypnosis. Then it yes. makes more sense than the other way around. Yes. Right? Yes. So. Well, I've trained in hypnosis and NLP and I, I definitely understand what you're saying. So then the basic is 40 hours. You've designed something specific to make it fast and, and more effective, correct? That's yeah. Is that my understanding? Or, yeah, it's like, you know, what are the base skill sets, right? And then you build on those skill sets. And so, mm-hmm. like, I teach things on the very first morning that most people would teach on the third or fourth day. It creates a bedrock that you can build on, right? And it's basically just, how your brain works. It's not why psychology supposedly gets into the why, but this is like how your brain works. And so, and give people skills that they can use from the get-go. Yeah, how we and process. I always tell I always tell students, bring a problem. Bring a problem. Because if you fix a problem while you're in class, it'll make you a better NLP or when I'm teaching hypnosis, I'd say the same thing. Let's bring a problem we can fix. Yeah, that's that's important because you you use your personal experiences to move forward and and so Dr. Horton, what would you say to someone who is looking to kick a habit or any kind of habit? And what would you say to them? Because you were once there for them to to gain that confidence and to say, okay, you know what? Yeah, there is a way out. Yeah. Well, and it Generally, I always start with a brutal fact for most things you want to change. And I I, I always say it this way. You may not rise to the level of your dreams. You will always fall to the level of your peers. So if someone wants to quit drinking, I'd say, well, are you ready to change like almost all your friends and maybe part of your family? Yes. No. Well, then it's, you know. And, and I clash with hypnotists and some therapists, but therapists aren't as bad as most just lay hypnotists that act like, oh, no, I'll just help them take away the drinking problem. They can still go to the bar every night. Now, in 40 <laughs> years, I've never seen that work. I've seen many hypnotists make that claim. And I always say, what's your evidence? Yes. Show me the client. Well, I never heard from them again. They may be dead. They may be in prison for all you know. Yes. You can remove the desire pretty quickly. Yes. But what about all the behaviors that go with it? If you spent 10 years going to the bar every night, if you're a construction worker, and you go to the bar every night after you get off work, and now we get you don't want to drink anymore, what are you going to do at 5 o'clock? Yes. When all your buddies are going to the bar. And if you think you're going to go there and hang out, it's not going to work. Even within the people in recovery, I help a lot of people stop, used to help a lot of people stop smoking in recovery. And I'd say, well, the first thing you got to do is quit hanging around with the smokers out, out in front of the meeting. Yeah. Those are my friends. Yeah. Well then hang out with them and die of emphysema. That's what's going to happen. You won't be drunk, but you'll die of emphysema. <laughs> this is how I talk to people. So I'm a little different. So it's like, so you got to get around the right people, right? And same yes. with business. And my big thing now is working with entrepreneurs. And I said, well, then you need a group of successful entrepreneurs. Because now you're at a different level. You need people that will support you. Because there was a study done. Well, it was actually just a talk, but now they've proven it. I think it was Jim Rohn said, if, if you tell me your five closest people you hang out with, 
and I find out their income, I can guess your income. Yes. Well, that then they've taken that and they've actually proven it. It's actually true. You know, it's actually been statistically proven within some parameters. But I've stretched that out that guess what? You tell me the five people you hang out with and I look at their fitness shape. I can without ever meeting you. I can yeah. tell you probably are you in shape or not? Yes. Right. Besides success. Right. Educational level. All this other stuff. Healthy eating. If you tell me the five people you hang out with, if they eat healthy, you eat healthy. You if, they're, if they're living on junk food, eh, you're probably living on junk food. Yeah. You know? So you got to get better. Now, the thing we know, here's my, here's a giveaway for the listeners, right? Yes. People watching is you don't have to really know them up close and personal. Yes. And I, I teach entrepreneurs are good at this. It's like, okay, so you're so busy running your business and doing this. You don't have a lot of people to hang out with. What if in your head, your friends were like Jeff Bezos and Tony Robbins and uh, Grant Cardone, guys like that, that you can get videos of? What would they tell you to do? What would yes. They would encourage your success. They would do this, right? And so get them in your mind. Use your imagination. Have a different yeah. level, you know. Also, too, when you first start working out, if you've never worked out, right? You don't. You may not have friends that work out, right? Yes. So that's one reason when I used to run my weight loss clinic, I would always tell my, it was part of the deal. You got a free membership to a health club. And I'd always get these people. I don't want to go to the health club. Why not? Everybody's going to make fun of me. No, they're not. Right. But the reason I wanted to go there is guess who's in the health club? People that exercise. Exactly. That's the kind of people you want in your head. Not like down here in Florida, you got all these retirees, but I go to this health club. There's, there's a guy there, 85. I tell him up front because he's also a martial artist. Right. Yes. I go, dude. Dude, Rich, you are one of my idols. I want to be doing what you're doing at 85. He'll still he'll still practice martial arts. He's over yes. there lifting weights. It's like most people in Florida. Yes. And they're, and, and, and they're doing the walker shuffle. And how old are you? 60. And I'm like, well, this guy, my wife, she still does trapeze, right? She was a trapeze artist in the circus. And there's people here that they do trapeze. And there's a guy that worked that flies on the trapeze and he's nine how old is alan 90 huh 90 90 and he can still fly on the trapeze right wow. i love the guy and when i shake his hand i have to gear up because his grip is strong makes me winch and i'm pretty <laughs> strong right so again it's the people you hang out with that's yes. why i encourage people you know hang out with people you want to be like and if you can't do it up front and personal right now create a virtual group that you can hang out with. Yeah. So just to go over what you said, you have to have the willingness to change. That's the first thing. And then you have to have the willingness to do something, come out of your comfort zone. You may have to change friends. You may have to, you know, do whatever it takes and go with like-minded people for whatever you want to change. And that's extremely important. So Dr. Horton, I want to say thank you for being here. I enjoyed speaking with you and please tell the listeners if they want to train with you tell us your website again so that they can reach out to you if they have you know if they want to sign up or because i know you do beautiful trainings and look at your all the books all the nine books your best-selling author i think you can help a lot of business owners the easiest way is nfnlp.com the other side, I'm still working on drwillhorton.com. I'm, I'm flipping it over to business. But nfnlp.com, that's where like I list all the trainings. 
And the one of the good things, Miss Elena, that has come out of this COVID, yes, um, is it's opened up how we train. I was lucky. I've been doing stuff online since 2012 because somebody hired me to do stuff online. So I was doing it online. And so I was telling people back in 2013 and 14, there will come a day when 80% of your training will be online. Yes. When most of your therapy will be online. And as psychologists, they were fighting that tooth and nail. But because of COVID, you know. People had to pivot and change and yes. do something different, yes. right? Yes. And again, that proves stress makes people change quicker. Yes. And So you could train differently now, right? And yes. so there's, I do hybrid trainings, you know, co, you know, a lot online. And this year, we're finally starting the live trainings again. Yay! You know, the conferences are coming back. I love that's beautiful. Things. So, so yeah, it's going to be fun. So this year, you're actually going to do live trainings in Florida. Uh, yeah, and I go to a lot of conferences. You know, there's, there's, they're all. Over. I know you're part of the National Guild of Hypnosis, correct? You do a training there. Yes, that's Because, a big training there. That's a great place to take the training. It's in uh, August, in, just outside Boston. The reason um, you can immerse yourself in the in the conference, where there will be probably seven or eight hundred hypnotists there, yes. and so you can hang out and, and learn and and NLPers and coaches, and then do the I do the training right afterwards, and then do the training. So it's an immersion process, right? And that's in July, the very end of July. I'm doing a course in Las Vegas with HypnoThoughts, a group called Hypnoth. Yes, I'm aware. And I'm doing too. one on trauma, right? Yes. Which that comes out of my addiction world. I always wondered why some people sober up and other people can't. And usually it comes to some kind of thing about trauma in their lives. And, you know, so that's what I'm into. And that's what I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. The ones, those people that they have the talent, ability and skills, but they just can't get to the next level. So what's stopping them? Why are they yes. sabotaging their their victories? Right, that's beautiful. I know I've seen you into because I'm I'm part of the I'm a member of the National Guild of Hypnosis, and I'm pretty sure I saw your courses there. And oh, yeah. um, yes, this will be my thirty second conference, right? And for two years they didn't have it, right? Yeah, because of COVID, everything was done online. Yeah. yeah. But this is my 32nd. I'm the oldest, longest, not oldest in age, but the longest serving person that's had an article in the National Guild of Hypnotists Journal magazine than anyone. Yes, I have those. I get them every month. So I, like I did penny. see you I just, there. Yes. I keep turning up. You can't get rid of me. A bad penny. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking cool. with you. If, and if anybody has any questions, Reach out to their website. Phone numbers there. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm available. Unless I'm doing a training or working on a movie set. That's my big thing now. Okay, <laughs> that's beautiful. So if anybody they can reach out to you and ask you any questions, that would be great. Dr. Horton, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time, and I may bring you back again sometime in the future. I could Domo talk to arigato. you forever. Domo arigato. Domo arigato. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Rewired Inspired Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues, friends, and family. Do you have a question, comment, or topic idea 
for a future episode, please reach me directly at elenapetrescu.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Stay inspired as there is unlimited potential in your life and business. Thank you for listening.